So we left off last week speaking about um, the Brachav Shama and Modeani. So those are the, that's one of the first brachot we make every morning um, after we wake up. It's part of the general set of the Brachot HaShachar. Now, after we finish Elokai Nishama, virtually all of the Girsaot begin with the 15 brachot that continue from Hanotena Sechvivina all the way until Hamavir Hamavir Chevlei Shena Me'enai Utunuma Me'afapai those 15 brachot. So we're going to have to go through those brachot one by one. Um, I don't know how long it's going to take for each one, but um, should be a l- around two to three shiurim just to get through all of the concepts um, that are discussed in these brachot. So the first thing we should approach is the history, which we've discussed before, the history of these brachot. In the time of David HaMelech, there was a magifa, a plague, that um, began to occur in Eretz Yisrael, and a hundred people were dying a day. And David HaMelech, who was a Navi, and the leading Navi at the time, approached the Sanhedrin, and he told them that there, he explained to them that there was a system of bracha that comes down to the world. Um, and that system of, that system of bracha is a system with 100, so to speak, brichot, or springs or conduits. And in order for that system of bracha to come down to the world, um, B'nai Israel have to say 100 brachot a day. And if people are not saying 100 brachot a day, that would cause a spiritual problem, which would cause 100 people to die every day. So once he explained the background of this of this sod, the secret to the Sanhedrin, they... Um, took action, and they were metaken. They made an, a, a, um, a takana, an institution, that every day everyone should say 100 brachot. So this led to the institution of about, of, of many brachot, which were official now, even though they hadn't been official before. So these 15 brachot were created around that era in order to um, fill up a hundred brachot every day. So that's why we have in the beginning of every morning about 15 to 18 brachot, which wouldn't ne- strictly be necessary, but we say them um, to we say them to fill up the 100 brachot. So the Gemara here in brachot describes all of the, at least it's the original um, source that we have, the first primary source for these 15 brachot. And so the Gemara says it in an interesting progression. It finishes with Hamachazir Neshemot of Garimitim, right? So there's a Zion straight in the middle of the daf. It says, Kishama Kol Tanigola. When one hears the sound of the rooster, Lema, he should say, Baruch, meaning Asher Natana Sechvivina Lechim Benum Ben Leila. And then, Kipatach Ene, when he opens his eyes, Lema Baruch Pokeach Ivrim, he should say the next bracha. When a person straightens up and sits, you should say the bracha of unleashing the, the releasing the people who are bound because you're at when you sleep your your muscles constrict so that you can't move anymore. When you get dressed, you should say when you straighten your back. When your feet touch the ground, blessed is, is the one who made a firmament of earth on top of water. 
Ki maske when you walk, lema baruch hamechim esadei gaver. Ki saim esane when you put on your shoes, lema baruch sha sali kol sorki. I can go through all of them. Just we'll, we'll get to each one individually when we when we get to them. But uh, just to finish, it says ki asar hemyanei lema baruch ozeri sali gura. When you when you gird your belt, you should say he who girds bnei Israel with strength. Ki paris sudal reishe when you put a covering on your head. It depends what era you live in, but today a yamaka. Lema baruch oter Israel b'tifara. And then the, there's another three barachot here. Kimanatef b'tzitzit, kimanach tefilin, kimanach tefilin areshe. So there's many variations of the order and exactly the text of how these barachot evolved throughout the past um, two thousand years. So I ended up there were so many of these like texts and, and orders and variations that I ended up building an Excel document with 15 <laughs> columns, maybe more, of every system and bracha and like ha- what the order was exactly. Now, one of the interesting things that I found from literally putting all these things side by side and all the variations is that almost every single one of the versions we have contains exactly 15 brachot, whether it's the Babli here, whether it's um, Rav Amram, whether it's uh, the early, all the early Rishonim, they're very adamant to specifically have 15 brachot here, and then they add that with the Birkat Torah, so it's a total of 18. I don't know why exactly they're, they're so adamant to choose 15. As you'll notice, in our Girsah, we don't have like the Babli. We don't put the we don't include tzitzit tefillin and tefillin shalrosh. Instead, we do shalosani goy, shalosani avet, shalosani isha, and that's because the bavli and menachot says to, repl- to 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 say those brachot as well. So we replace those. There is um, a theory that Urshwab says, which I think he gets from the from this from the sidur of the yabets, and I haven't found it in the sidur yabets because the introduction is like ten miles long, but he basically says that. The progression of tefillah is a progression, at least in a meditative space, of going through the the Beit Hamikdash. It's a, it's the progression of one who would come to the Beit Hamikdash in the morning to give a korban. So you would show up really early in the morning. You would say like people would wait outside the gates. They would say tehilim, tchinot, and bakashot. And then once the time came for for people to be allowed into the courtyard. They would let people go up the steps, and then they would reach the Ezrat Nashim. So they would stand in the, in the in, at the bottom, which was a general um, area. Then they would go up these fifteen steps to the Ezrat Nashim. They were greeted by the Sha'ar Nikanor, which was one of the one of the main gates. So the steps that went up from the from the general area to the Ezrat Nashim were fif- were fifteen steps, and therefore Schwab says that these fifteen steps, in a meditative sense, are going. You're traveling up those 15 steps. You're supposed to imagine yourself going up 15 steps. We do see in other places the number 15 in Judaism to, to mean some sort of elevation spiritually. It's not rampantly common. It's not one of the most important numbers, but we do see it here and there. We see like Avram Yitzhak and Yaakov lived 15 years together. Um, there's 15 Shir Hamalot. We do see 15 here and there. Yeah, there's a lot of, there's a lot of things with 15, but... It's, it's not clear to me what the significance is of having 15, and not all of the Rishonim do have um, 15 brachot. Some have a little more, a little less. The one um, striking uh, thing that is common across everybody is that everybody puts Hanotein L'Sachvivina first. That's the first bracha according to virtually everybody. So that's what we're going to focus on today. We'll just get through that bracha. Um, the other ones we'll leave for a little further. But 
Before we discuss Sechvi, we have to discuss the format of these brachot in general. So there's a fundamental machloket rishonim about what's going on here in the, in the Gemara. The Gemara gives a description of what you do, when you do it, and how you do it. It says, if you hear the sound of a rooster, if when you put on your, when you put on your shoes, so this is the machloket, is this to be taken literally? Meaning, should you only say the brachot when you put on your shoes, or should you only say the brachot if you hear a rooster? Or is it just um, a bracha, which is a general bracha on Hashem's orchestration of the world? And all of these brachot are what's called birchot hashvach, brachot of praise. And therefore, you could say them whether or not you heard a rooster, whether or not you happened to be wearing shoes that day. And the other Rishonim would hold that, no, it's only birchot hanahenin, which means that it's a bracha on of enjoyment, of pleasure. And only if you actually are doing that action, for example, putting on a yarmulke or um, hearing a rooster, would you say the bracha. So Rav Amram Gaon, Nachonai Gaon, the Ran, the Kolbo, the Ramban, Rabbeinu Yona, all of them say that these are birchot hashvach, and you say them regardless of whether or not you hear a rooster, whether or not, no matter what you're going to say these brachot, and that's our minhag today, that virtually all of Klai Yisrael says all the brachot, no matter if you if you heard anything or not. However, the Rambam, Erev Sa'adia Gaon, who was one of the early Gaonim, who also is a very similar kind of person to the Rambam, and one and the Balei Tosafot all believe that it was Birchot Hanehenin. Um, however, Tosafot says that the brachav Nehenin of a rooster is not hearing the rooster. You're not having pleasure of hearing the rooster. Your actual pleasure is is seeing the morning light. The, the the real pleasure you're having, the real benefit, I shouldn't say pleasure, the real benefit you're getting is that you're 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 getting daybreak again. Like how like praise God you're alive. So that's the real um nehanin, that's the real benefit of of um of now while others would hold that it's simply the call of the rooster. the Rush and the Rabbanit Sarfat, the Rabbanim of France the, the Rishonim who lived in France before the, the expulsion, their view was a comp, uh, middle view, a compromise. They said that Hanotel Sechivina was the only one which is Shvach, and that you say no matter what. The rest of them, you'll only say if you actually, if you actually perform such an action or receive such a benefit. Um, there's an interesting Sefer, it's a small Sefer, it's called Shalotu Chivot Min Hashamayim, which is uh, uh, one of the Later, Rishonim, one of the early Achronim, really asked many questions of the heavens. Basically, he did something called the Sheilat Chalom. He would go to sleep. It's a Kabbalistic thing to ask questions of, of the heavens. And he would ask the Yeshiva Shalmala different questions of Halacha. So in Sheila in, Tshuva, uh, in the Tshuva Yudbet, he asks them this question. He says, who is the Halacha like? What actually is the, the Halacha? Do we, is it a Birkat Hananin or is it Birkat Hashvach? And so they answered him that these brachot were originally only nitkan to fill mea brachot. They are all berkot hashvach, and you could say them no matter what. And the raya is from Shmona Esrei. You could say rofei cholim even if you don't have a chola in your house. So that's what they answered him in Hashemayim. And because he apparently, if you look at the wording, he was a little bit afraid of, of violating the Rambam and Rosh Gaon and the Tosafot. So. They assured him that you can you can say the brachot. It's not a risk of brachal batala, and that was the halacha. We don't paskin like the shalotu chuvot min hashemayim. We paskin uh, like the achronim. 
Um, interestingly, the Beit Yosef himself paskins uh, that you would say it without Shemu Malchut. So the only reason the Moroccans and the Syrians still say all the brachot um, with Shemu Malchut is because they have a minhag which, super, which precedes the Beit Yosef. They all have a minhag which precedes the Shulchan Aruch to say all of these brachot with Shemu Malchut, no matter if they had the Hana'a the hana or not, if they had the benefit or not. There are also some minor problems with the Rambam's approach and the Rav approach is that, first of all, when do you say the bracha? We know that a birchot anin, when you're eating a fruit, you say the bracha before you eat the fruit, not after. So the Rambam is not clear exactly when you would say the bracha. Um, first, also, the Rambam sounds like as soon as you wake up, you could, or you hear the rooster, you could say hanoten l'sachvivina, but you haven't washed your hands yet. Yeah? Mm-hmm. Well, we, the sardine, we say the bracha first and then we light. The... That's the right way. <laughs> I'm kidding. Okay. Um, so everyone agrees that Birkot HaShvach can be post. I mean, everyone agrees that you could say Birkot HaShvach after you hear the thunder. And what's interesting is that Rav Gaon is the only one of any girsa, the sidur of Rav Gaon is the only sidur anywhere to not put Hanotena Sachvivina as the first of the brachot. His first bracha you wash your face when you wake up in the morning. And he puts the bracha of Hanotena Sechvivina in the section with the Birchot HaShmiyah, all the brachot that you make when you hear something, like thunder or lightning. Over there he puts the bracha of Hanotena Sechvivina. He says, and if you hear a rooster in the morning, you say Hanotena Sechvivina, because he's adamant that it's a Birchot HaNehenin, and that it's not a, or possibly Berchot HaShvach, but he doesn't believe that it's supposed to be a set part of the rest of the 15 brachot. That's so much for the format of the bracha. So now, interestingly, the, the, this discussion of what it is, meaning what type of bracha it is, also has a consequence as to what the meaning is of this first bracha, Panotena Sechvivina, because the word Sechvi has a double meaning. It can mean, Sechvi can mean a heart, and it can mean a rooster. There's two ways to, to read the bracha. It can mean that Hashem gave our hearts, meaning our bodies, the intuition to know when it's night or day. Or it can mean that Hashem gave the rooster the understanding to know when it's night or day. So the Tosafot and the Rambam and Abisad Yagon, they all hold with Shitut, that, and Rashi even, they hold that it means a Tarnagol, that it means a rooster, because they hold it to Berchot HaNehenin. And therefore, you're making a bracha on something you're benefiting from, which is the rooster's cry, while the Rash and Rinu Yonah and everybody else, they learn sechvi to mean um, the heart because to them, it's a berchot hashvach. We're praising Hashem for his orchestration of how the world works. And it would make more sense to say that it means sechvi because it, that's what that's what it means whenever we see Sechvi in, the, in, the, in Tanakh, when we see that word. It's a pasuk in Yehov that we'll see shortly. Um, so therefore, they believe it means heart, and Hashem gives our hearts understanding. So when we wake up, we, we, give, we give thanks that Hashem gave us our intellect and our understanding. So the etymology of the word Sechvi is likewise interesting. It's, it's how does it both mean a heart and a rooster? So the Gemara in Rosh Hashanah, where Ishlakish says that when I went to the town of Kan Nishraya, which I think it literally means the nest of eagles, but he says, when I went to the town of Kan Nishraya, um, I heard people calling a sechvi, um, a rooster a sechvi. 
And all the Rishonim say that that means in Arabic, a Sechvi is a rooster. So it's very interesting that the Gemara would point that out, that a rooster is called a Sechvi. So it's not unusual that brachot that we have borrow language from psukim. We have it everywhere. We just had it by pigarim eitim. That's the language used throughout Tanakh. Um, also, Hanotena Sechtivina is a pasuk in Iyov. There's a parak in Iyov, Lamed Chet, where Hashem finally answers Iyov um, with a very strong response to Iyov's complaints. And he basically, in that parak, Hashem chastises and he asks Eov a set of rhetorical questions like can you have you created the world were you were you there when I when I created the the, the stars were you there when um, like how how powerful are you do you understand the world that are you so omnipotent and omniscient that you can understand my actions and he says like can you send lightning and it'll say I am here and finally it says mishat batuchot chokhma have you ever placed into innards into flesh Wisdom, have you, ever, have you ever done something so godly to give a human being a, being a brain that you could put wisdom into, into, into flesh? Have you ever given a heart understanding? And the Targum in that Pasuk says, Sechvi means a heart. And our Misora, straight back to Moshe Messina, is whatever is in the Targum. And the Targum says, Sechvi is a heart. And that's how we understand that Pasuk. So we see that it could both mean a heart, and for some reason in Arabic it also means a um, rooster. a rooster. Now, parenthetically, the Ashkenazim their their girsa is when they say the bracha is asher natan la and the reason for this is because there's a rule in the poskim. We say this by the bracha v'fa'enu. There's a rule ein l'shanot milashon hakatuv that we try not to change the the lashon of the pasuk as much as we can. Therefore, they use the word natan la because the pasuk says natan la sechvivina. While we say hanotan la because it's more exact, you're saying that Hashem every day in the present tense gives the heart's understanding. It's not just that He once upon a time gave heart's understanding. That's our minhag. The Ashkenazim have their own minhag. Asher natan sechvivina, elu velu elokim chaim. So now, the Rishonim point out both here in the Bracha Avnotena Sakhivina and also in the, in the, in the <coughs> Pasuk in Iyov, they point out that the word Sechvi comes from the word in, Arama- in Hebrew and Aramaic, Aramaic, which is Soche, which means to see, sometimes spelled with a Samach, sometimes spelled with a, with a Sin. It's interchangeable. But mm-hmm. there's, there's examples of it. Like, for example, in Tehillim, we say Maskiot Levav, fantasies of the heart. Um, the targum of vayabet, to gaze, is vistiki, to, 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 to look. But it doesn't mean an ordinary form of seeing. Soche is not a seeing where you just see something in plain view. We have the word by, um, it, it, by sukkah, we say, we say sechach. That means to see through something. Seeing with soche is not just seeing something which is plain in plain view, it's being able to see something which is not in plain view, and still you know it's there with your eyes. It's a very specific word in Hebrew when it means, when it says soche, it means to see something even though it's not in plain view. Pasuk says in Breshit that Sarah was called Yiska. And why? Rashi says, Shesocha biruach hakodesh, because she was able to see with ruach hakodesh. 
meaning she was able to see things, even though they're not in plain view, she was able to see with Ruach HaKodesh. And <laughs> interestingly, over there, the Eben Ezra in Eov, he says something about the word Soche. He says that the word Soche specifically refers to Hakika. And he says this, anyone who knows Sod HaRuach understands what I mean. What he does mean is that we've discussed before a type of meditation known as visualization, right? It's one of the techniques used by anyone who's a master of meditation, especially the Mekubalim. So visualization involves being able to, as it sounds, visualize images, whether in your mental space or in your actual field of view. So, for example, you could close your eyes and imagine and, and emblazon an image into your, into your mental space so that it actually feels real so that you could actually see it. Then, there's another form of um, visualization. This takes practice. Even normal people can do it. It just takes a lot of practice. Another type where you emblazon it holographically. For example, that you could see in your normal field of vision, you can see um, like freestanding objects, like a holograph. You can mentally burn into your field of vision a static image that'll always remain, for example, on the right side of your vision, the left side of the vision, the center of your vision. That in the, in the practice of the Mikvalim is known as hakika, which means engraving. They're in contrast to a different type, to a, to a more advanced level, which is called Hatziva, which means hewing, like with stone. If you would, um, if you would basically cut out the stone around, instead of like engraving into a stone, if you would carve around it to get the same letters, that would be called Hatziva to hew. So that's a more advanced meditation where not only can you emblazon something into your image, but you can make everything else fall away, so that only those things exist in your in your mental space, in your sphere. So Chakika and Chatziva are used in, in higher forms of meditation, which none of us are familiar with or know. It's discussed in Sefer Yitzirah, things like that. And they're used to, they're very often used to, um, to get to higher levels of Ruach HaKodesh, to get to higher levels of Nivuah. Um, for example, there's things like this in the Sefer HaEchalot, where they would Im imagine seals and keys into different doors of Shammai and very interesting wacky stuff but according to the Eben Ezra the skill of Soche is actually the skill of Hakika and apparently this is the one of the things which is necessary for Ruach HaKodesh as, as he says the Sot HaRuach and this is Yiska Shesocha Ruach HaKodesh that she was able to see with Ruach HaKodesh and so to a rooster so a rooster has this ability to see something which is not in plain view, and therefore it has a circadian rhythm. Uh, everyone knows a rooster can, every 24 hours about, it knows that it's, uh, it's daybreak. So even though it, it doesn't see something straight up, it's not in its plain view, it could still intuit that there is a daybreak, there is a nightfall, there is a chatzot, and therefore it sings at that time, and that's why our hearts are called um, as well, because our hearts are not our minds, they're not rational. We can see things that aren't there, we can know things, we have an intuition that tells us when something's there, even if it's not in our plain view. So, oh well, uh, <laughs> I guess this is going to be one of the shorter shirim. I thought I had more, uh, whew, thought I had, <sighs> this was going to take longer than it did. All right, so, Alpia Kabbalah. The Mikubalim have a different way of learning Hanotein Sech which is 
shall we say, very different than one would expect when they read the Bracha of Hanotan and Sofibina, because the the Mikovalim have a different vocabulary. You could say Ilan in, in the Torah, and it's, the Torah could say the word Ilan, the tree, and it really means something else up to the Mikovalim. It could say Lechem. In Hebrew, that means bread, but Alpia Kabbalah, it means something else. We know there's many layers of the Torah. There's Pshat, Remes, Jush, Sod. They have a totally different vocabulary. If it says Eretz, Shamayim, they understand different things. So they have a different understanding of the word Zechvi, a different understanding of the word Bina, and a different understanding of the word Yom and Laila. Um, many people are familiar with a Braitha known as Perek Shira. It's a, it's a compilation of, it's called the, the chapter of song. Basically in it, it lists all the Shira said by different animals. Right? You've probably seen them, them sell it in stores. Uh, you know, they have like the rooster and the dog and the this and the that. So what many people don't know is that that Braitha is really referring not to the animals themselves, it's referring to the Malachim or the Masalot, which are the roots or the, the um, spiritual relate relatives of those animals. And the Zohar in Parashat Shalach, Kuf Ayin Bet Amad Bet, actually says that the angel which is related to the rooster is Gavriel. Gavriel HaMalach, very famous <laughs> Malach. And Gavriel is not an ordinary Malach. Gavriel, most mal- many Malachim are ephemeral. That means as soon as they get used, as soon as they um, complete their function, they cease to exist. Certain Malachim can recycle and, com- and re- and continuously do a function over and over again. And also, like Gavriel or Michael, they can command legions of Malachim beneath them. So Gabriel is in charge of Din and Gira and strict judgment. So he has legions of Malachim underneath him, which also carry out different specificities of Gira, different specificities of Din. That's why Gabriel is one of the higher Malachim. Um, and just like the rooster, I mean, in Parashira, you'll see that the rooster has seven different calls. Every, every different call, it has a different pasuk. So you'll see in the Zohar that Gavriel has six or seven uh, different psukim that he, that, that he calls out when they say shira. Interestingly, Sefi is also Gematria Gavriel. Minus one. I mean, plus one, minus one, and Gematria is all the same. Sefi and Gavriel are, are the same, um, are the same Gematria. And also, Gever is a Hebrew word for rooster, an alternative Hebrew word for rooster. This is an interesting thing to note. So, anyway, what does it mean that an animal can be related or, you know, anything can be related to a malach? So there's a ma'amar by the Lubavitcher Rebbe, the fourth Lubavitcher Rebbe. Um, it's called Ma'amar Mikamocha. And in Ma'amar Mikamocha, he talks about what it means for the world to exist. It's, an, it's basically a study in ontology. I mean, how the world can be real if nothing is real besides Hashem. What does it mean to have true existence? And he speaks about there the theme of devolvement. And that is that when Hashem created the world, he first created spiritual worlds, which preceded our world. And then he created our physical world. So now every spiritual world that he created he created a subsequent, or we call it lower world underneath it, which devolved from the world 
on top of it, every world lower requires contingently a world higher than it. So it's almost a framework. It's a, a spiritual architecture for how the spiritual worlds work. And then finally, at the bottom of it all is our world. So, for example, the if something was created in the highest of worlds, let's call that highest world Atsilut, right? So let's say something was created in that world. Then what would happen is it would enable something to exist in the world underneath it. Now, we make, there's, we make a distinction between causation and contingency. In our world, we have cause and effect, right? We have reaction and reaction. However, in spiritual worlds, they aren't worlds of cause and effect. So therefore, we can't use that language. We can't say that the world above it caused something underneath it because we don't necessarily know that to be true. We know that it's a, there's some sort of causal chain, but instead we speak of it more in a contingent sense, that because in English, contingency means because one thing can exist, therefore something else can exist. So therefore, if something would exist in the highest world, therefore it allows something to exist. It evolves world after world after world, thousands of levels, let's say, let's say just for simplicity's sake, four levels, and it ends up enabling something to exist in our world. There's a Midrash Tanchuma, which says, for example, that the Midrash says that because there are seraphim in, in uh, Shemaim, in, in Olam Habriah, therefore there are cedar trees in this world. Now, seraphim, which are malachim, who constantly burn up, whatever that means, have no relationship and are not related to physically or in any other sense. They're not related to um, to cedar trees. But because seraphim exist, so can um, cedar trees exist. So in the same vein, he explains, the rooster exists in our world because many, many spiritual um, frameworks above, there is a... Um, a concept which allows Gabriel and and all the things which come underneath and above Zechvi to exist. So we know that in Shemaim there's a cycle. Every day um, there's a cycle of things that occur in Shemaim. When Moshe Rabbeinu was in, was in the heavens for 40 days and 40 nights, right? So that's an area without space or time. How exactly did he know that 40 days or 40 nights were passing? So the Midrash says that he knew because he would watch the different uh, shifts of Malachim singing Shira. Some would come at night, some would come at day. So he knew. So we know that there's a cycle of activity in Shemaim. So what they say, what, what the, the Svarim here say is happening is that there's a cycle which begins and again I'm going to oversimplify in the highest worlds in Atzilut. And that's what that basically there's a <clears throat> One of the Sefirot is known as Malchut. I'm going to say this quickly because I don't myself understand it, but one of the Sefirot is called Malchut, and certain Sefirot um, cannot accept and receive at the same time. Therefore, once for half of the day, Malchut, meaning during the day, Malchut descends into the lower worlds and gives it an influx of Hashem's light. And then at night, it goes back up to Shemaim to be a Makabel. It goes back higher to the higher worlds to be Makabel and to receive Hashem's light. comes down and influxes it. Every 12 hours, there's a shift. So the way they describe that happening is that there's the five Gvurot of Bina, which then um, wake, awaken Malchut from its slumber 
and that allows Hashem's art to come down to the lower worlds. That's highest level stuff that very, very advanced. No idea what it's talking about. Fine. Those, that occurrence allows for a malach called Gabriel to exist. And that allows Gabriel every day, the Midrash says that every day Hashem, every night at Chatzot, um, Hashem mourns the destruction of the, of the Beit HaMikdash. And at that time, after, in order to quote-unquote comfort himself, um, Hashem will visit the tzaddikim in Gan Eden and be delight in them and be comforted. So what they say this means is that Gabriel will awaken the souls of the tzaddikim in Gan Eden, and that brings delight to Hashem. Fine, so that, that's something that occurs in Olam Habriah. And then Gabriel descends into Olam HaYitzirah, and they say Shira. So now, because we have this devolvement of contingencies, we have first the highest world, uh, uh, you know, Bina waking Malchut, and then you have uh, Gabriel with the Gan Eden, and then you finally have uh, this, the Malachim singing Shira. Whenever one of these things happens, for example, when uh, Gabriel is, whenever Gabriel is um, awakened to, quote unquote, I mean, we don't know what awakened means, but activated, instigated, to causing something to happen in Shemayim, that's when the, the, the roosters on earth begin to, to uh, what's the word? Uh, <laughs> uh, what's the word? To, to, to crow. So, yeah, I mean, a rooster is a very dumb bird. It doesn't itself know why exactly it's crowing. And actually, people think today that roosters only crow in the morning. They actually crow at night as well. They can crow up to six times at night. They'll start with chatzot, like literally, they'll start with midnight, and then they'll go like six times until the morning. Um, not all of them, but some of them will do this. And the Mikuvalim say that this is because um, in a higher world, there is a cycle in the spiritual world which allows our world to receive influence from Hashem, to receive existence. And because there's a spiritual cycle in the world above, that allows a similar cycle in our world. So that... The the Gra actually says that Gabriel, what when using this this awakening awakening of Bina, what happens is is that he it allows Gabriel to temper his din with Chesed, meaning every morning because he gets awakened with the Chamesh Grot the Bina that allows him to come down and bring uh, Chesed to this world as well as din, so that his din is not is not so strong that we wouldn't be able to exist. So what, according to the Mikubalim, in summary, what the bracha is saying is hanotein la lehavchin laila is that we're that we're praising Hashem for giving Gavriel the um, the tools to discern between night and between day, meaning that to continue the cycles in Shemayim which allow us to be sustained. Interestingly, there's a there's a distinction between leil and laila. Leil always means before Chatzot, which is why our bracha uses the word Laila because it's specifically after Chatzot. We're only talking about after Chatzot because before Chatzot, the, there's no there's no guard change. There's no uh, the cycle hasn't yet begun to shift. We're only talking about after Chatzot. Fine. So now there is to move away finally from the Kabbalah. There is a discussion of the grammar of Lahavchin Benyom Ben Laila. The Rishonim, the early Rishonim say that, or specifically Rabbi Ben Yakar, he says that Lahavchin, you should know, comes to mean 
there's a word in Hebrew, right, to, to, to discern. So it means to like to differentiate between two objects in front of you. Livchon means to investigate. It means to look at one thing and almost investigate your mind into that one thing. In modern Hebrew, you call it test of bechina, for example. Um, so he says that we have to be careful to, to use the, the grammar of lehavchin because um, the... So, sorry, the... the um, he, he says we have to be careful to use the word lahavchin because grammatically lahavchin means to make, to make discern for others. In other words, the rooster himself, what does he care if it's night or day? It doesn't matter to the rooster. Lahavchin grammatically means to make, to make so that other people can discern. That's his, his, his point. The, the Ein Yosef, I believe it was, or the Iyun Tzvila, I'm sorry, he says that um, we're using lahavchin not just because it says that other people could discern, but specifically because it means to discern and not to investigate. Fine. Um, lastly, <laughs> I really, oh, so again, we're, we're on schedule. The, um, the Temanim have a girsa, um, which I, I was astonished at first. They don't say lahavchin, they say lahavin. And I thought it was a typo at first. <laughs> um, but I looked it up, and there is one source that says lahavin, and that is Rabbi Amram Gaon, one of the the Sidur of Rabbi Amram Gaon, which is the first, technically the first Sidur ever written from the Yeshiva of Babel, that that Sidur has has the Girsa of Lahavin Ben Yom Ben Laila, and they say the reason is because it's specifically using Lahavin because we're talking about Bina, and they basically the Mefarshim over there say simply that anyone who understands will know that we're, that in in Birchato Notena Bina. We're specifically talking about Bina, therefore we would say Lehavin Bein Yom Bein Laila. Um, however, the girsa that we have here in the Bavli is Lehavchin. The girsa of most of Kal Yisrael we have is Lehavchin. So um, I don't know exactly why that split happens, but um, it is what it is. I think next week we'll start with one of two things. Um, <laughs> the Ashkenazim have the Minhag to... Uh, Ashkenazim have the minhag that right after Hanotan Sachvivina they say Shlosani Goy. Um, there's reasons for that, both uh, simple and esoteric, mystical, um, and Sfaradim. However, we follow more closely the system of the Bavli. The Temanim actually, the order here, the people who follow the order of the Bavli the most is the Temanim, most interestingly enough. Um, and the Temanim are the ones who follow this order. Sfaradim have it a little bit differently. We're also going to have to look at certain brachot which nobody says anymore, um, like Somech Noflim, there's a bracha, Somech Noflim, Magbiya Shefalim. Magbiya Shefalim is a, you say Somech Noflim? I don't think so, no. Rafei Cholim we don't say anymore. The only person who says Rafei Cholim is actually Ramram Gaon. If to my, I could check my spreadsheet somewhere, but I think he's the only one who says Rofei Cholim. Magbiya Shefalim is an interesting discussion because here in the, in the Gemara we don't have it, but some of the Rishonim had, in their version of the Gemara, they had Magbi Ashfalim. Um, and as we'll see later, some, some had Matir Asurim, some did not. But for that, we'll have to continue uh, next week.